Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon live from the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Studios. This is 1460 KXNO. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Two on a Monday, it's Miller and Condon on 1460 KX and O. Trent Condon solo here for the next couple of days. But my partner set to join me right now, him and Bama Bob, they are ready to talk some college football. Let's get Ken on the line first as he checks in from down south. Kenny left at a good time. It is getting cold outside. How are things? No, they're certainly better than they are on I-80 and... Uh... I-8035 and Merle Hill Road are just on Twitter, and I think it was WHO-TV just tweeted out a picture of a pretty significant wreck. So, uh, you know, it's, it's raining in Tucson, but I'm certainly not going to complain about that. <laughs> well, uh, we got a lot of college football to talk about today, and let's get into it. As Bama Bob joins us here today, Bama, good afternoon, oh, good late morning to you. How are you? Struggling to hear Bama there. I, I know you got him loud and clear, Kenny. Hopefully, I didn't mess anything up there. Bama, you got me okay. Ah, Bama, I can faintly hear him back behind. Uh, might have some logistical issues here, but uh, we'll try to fight through them and get Bama set up. Well, Ken, before we get going and dive deep into things, it all started on Friday night with the Pac-12 championship game. And since you are our Pac-12 correspondent, you're locked and loaded (laughs) with with the Pac-12 all season long. Your Utah Utes, you were on them from the get-go throughout the summer. We got our Phil Steele. That was a team you identified right away. Maybe could make a run to the college football playoff and certainly a contender in the Pac-12. They were that, but Oregon comes out right away and and they manhandled them for a long portion, something you're not used to seeing against that Utah squad. No, especially that defense, Trent, which is one there was to one of the top defenses in all of college football statistically. Uh, and, and you're right, Oregon just took them to it right from the jump and really never gave them an opportunity in that football game. And, you know, it was, it was a bad time for uh, for Utah to play as poorly as they did, but I've got to give Oregon a ton of credit. They did things differently. Running the football as opposed to being that – a uh, quarterback that's going to stay in the pocket for the most part. I think that confused them. Uh, and this Oregon team is, you know, there, there's a reason that year after year they're picked to, to win the conference, and they proved again on Friday night that uh, that, that reasoning behind that is legitimate. Uh, that was a very impressive win by Oregon and uh, at that time for Utah uh, to look as poorly as they did. Bama surprised it all with the result there, not just Oregon winning, but the fashion that one went. I I thought Utah with 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 the rain and the mud and you know Moss and Huntley and 
you know, will be able to stay in that game and kind of play their game and be more physical. But I, Oregon was a more physical team, and that really surprised me. And I think Herbert made some money for himself Friday night uh, if he decides, especially, you know, to come out, um, which I think he will. And, I mean, look, it, it – it basically eliminated a lot of drama uh, because it basically put that yep. that game that result with Utah, you know, made the Big Twelve basically a play-in, a, uh, essentially a quarterfinal. Um, it, assuming that we got what we thought we would get, which we did in the SEC championship game. But yeah, very impressed with Oregon, um, and you know, they, what what a great way to finish out the year for them after a couple hiccups along the way. You know, a surprise as we got into that quarterfinal, we didn't know what was going to happen with Georgia and LSU at the time, but it had that feeling. Oklahoma jumps out 10 nothing. Kind of felt like, uh, here we go, Oklahoma's just going to coast in. But Charlie Brewer goes down with the concussion, comes back into the game. He's getting hollered at on the sideline with Matt Rule. I don't know, Ken, I thought this was going to be a bigger conversation piece, a bigger talker throughout Saturday and into Sunday. I didn't see a ton about it. Charlie Brewer remaining in the game and then ultimately pulled as they went with a couple of different quarterbacks. Yeah, that's a good point, Trent, because uh, he was taken off the field twice by the officials, which is alarming in and of itself. That uh, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not criticizing Brewer. He's a competitor. Mm-hmm. He clearly wanted to stay in that football game. Was going to try and do everything he could uh, in order to do so. But then they took him off the field again, and that's what you know what the system works in this case. Uh, and, and I think trend if it would have been like uh, week eight or week week four, um, you know, then and they played on Friday night or played early Saturday morning. Uh, that it would have been a conversation piece, but it's championship Saturday, mm-hmm. and that uh, I think overrides uh, everything. Uh, and maybe down the road we'll see one. But you know, we did see we saw some future quarterbacks for Baylor in this Zeno kid. My God, he couldn't miss early in the game. It was unbelievable whether he was running or throwing the ball down the field and those receivers making plays, getting themselves back into that football game. And, and really, um, for us fans out there, uh, us another opportunity to see a terrific finish. And we did the Big 12 as Oklahoma prevails. But Zeno, wow, at least early in the game until they kind of figured out a way uh, to stop him. Yeah, making big plays up the field. Oklahoma, though, gets it done ultimately in overtime and sets up their spot in the semifinal. Bama, let's go to the SEC title tilt. There were some other games out there. Maybe at the end we'll uh, we'll get into some of those more lower-tier bowl games. But your thoughts on the SEC championship game, it shouldn't come as a surprise, but it came to a surprise for me. I really thought Georgia was going to be ready to go there, but, boy, they just had very little resistance against that LSU squad. Yeah, it all caught up to them uh, on Saturday, and that's kind of been the narrative down here was everybody was talking about their defense. And, you know, defense is great, but if you can't put up points against a great mm-hmm. offense, and I think it, we can start now talking about LSU at least through the first, what, 13 games of the season as being a great offense this year. I'm not talking about all-time great. I'm talking about this year. They can line up and play with anybody, and Joe Burrow is playing the position uh, as as well as anybody in the country. I know there's other players out there, and you know there's other Heisman candidates, and they're worthy. Um, but look, LSU just came in. That, that game was not competitive, and from the jump, and I, I thought LSU would win. I thought they would cover. I didn't know you know it would be so tough. I just without Pickens as a target in the first half, who really hurt his team against you know with that stupid fight uh, against mm-hmm. Georgia Tech and and all the other injuries that were piling up. Um, I think it just all caught up to Georgia. And, you know, what 
one quick hit on Brewer, and I know I, I agree with you that it didn't. I think it should be getting more attention. And the thing that kind of bothers me is if that were Jalen Hurts, it would be a talking point today. And you know the fact that it was the Baylor quarterback and not one of the Heisman front runners, and you know Jalen Hurts and everything, but. Somewhat, the system worked and it failed both at the same time in that game, and and I just think that kid was was put at a risk that he didn't need to be put in, and um, I, I don't know what is going to happen ultimately out of that, but but that was tough to watch. I mean, and thankfully the referees were paying attention because I don't think anybody on the Baylor sideline was. Can SEC title tilt your LSU future wager still alive to win that national title? Yeah, and then they get the one seed re- re- when the committee met yesterday and overnight on Saturday night as, as a reward for doing so. I'm sure we'll get to that, but I thought they got it right. It, it just uh, blows me away the uh, evolution of uh, Burl at the quarterback position. I mean, I remember when he transferred. I remember a couple of years ago uh, us three having this conversation up the dialist about the you know the new quarterback, the old Ohio State quarterback. What's this going to do for LSU? And I remember collectively at the time thinking, eh, you know, we just don't know enough about him. He's, it, it, it's a different quarterback on the surface. Not sure how it's going to play out at LSU. But, man, oh, man, what he has done for that program, what he's done for that position, and what he's going to do for the Cincinnati Bengals and their fan base. I mean, <laughs> he's going to be the number one overall pick in the draft and be punished by going to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, uh, good for him. Maybe he can turn that franchise around. I hope he can. But just watching him play, watching the, the joy on his face and, and, and what that university means for him as well. I mean, go back to senior night when he, you know, changed the spelling of his name, um, you know, to, to make it, I guess, uh, more, more emphatic that he appreciates the fan base and where he's at in his college career and the state that he's performing at. He is such a great player and will be a high, uh, worthy more than worthy Heisman winner on Saturday night. Not good enough for Nebraska, though. That is Joe Burrow, your <laughs> Heisman <crazy>? winner. <laughs> Not good enough. And you look who we have here. Yeah, we saw what you have there, uh, Mr. Frost. We're good. Yes. Hey, uh, to the nightcaps, Clemson dominating performance. Bama, anything at all on the Tigers and, and what we saw, Virginia, just, uh, well, not even close. As nobody has been close to Clemson in that league. No, and, and listen, they, they got a burr under their butt about halfway through the season when they were winning. And we talked about it at the time. Um, Was there something wrong or were they just bored and kind of slogging through? And I think now we see that they were just kind of bored and slogging through because they have just put the hammer down really the last six or seven weeks and the whole narrative of, wow, you know, hey, Alabama can lose or LSU can lose and Ohio State can lose and still get in. But, you know, Clemson's got to run the table and all that kind of thing. And I think that really – they're, they're kind of sitting out there with all the attention on an Alabama and Tua and an LSU and Burrow and Fields and Ohio State and Oklahoma and Hurts. And they're like, uh, you know, hello, we've won 23 in a row or whatever it is now. You know, Trevor Lawrence has not lost a game as a starter. And we're the defending national champions and nobody's paying attention to us. And it's, you know, there's reasons why because they're in a crappy league. And I think they know they're in a crappy league, but. You know, now, now we get to see how good they really are. Have they just been running over, you know, terrible competition with very little resistance, or are they really back to where they were last year when they won the, the, the playoff? And, you know, listen, they're the team nobody's talking about. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, one versus two, LSU, Ohio State. You know, oh, Ohio State got screwed, which they didn't. 
Um, you know, and, and of course, Oklahoma getting in at four with Hurts, and everybody knows that story from Alabama. And nobody's talking about Clemson, but I tell you right now, I think they're as dangerous as anybody out there because they can put up points. I don't know how good they're going to be at stopping teams, but I think they can put up some points with, with Lawrence and Etienne and, and everything else they've got. And they've got a seasoned team. They've been there. And that's, that's the other thing is, you know, Burrow hasn't been there. Fields hasn't been there. Hurts, ironically, has, just with a different team. So experience is going to go a long way. And um, But, yeah, in, in terms of the ACC and what happened Saturday night in that game, you know, no surprise at all. And, and so now we'll see just how good Clemson really is. You know, Ken, I, I got a kick out of the back and forth with who should be number one, LSU, Ohio State, and the continued conversation piece because nobody wants to play Clemson. Look, if you think Clemson's that good, why aren't they number one? You know, why, why is everybody point. if they're this good and nobody wants to play them in the first round, then they should be the number one team in the country, right? Yeah, perhaps number three is indeed number one. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Chuck. That that's an excellent point. And you know, they they were preseason number one. Yeah, they went unbeaten. They had a close game against North Carolina, uh, and I guess that's been held against them ever since then. And since that point, you take a look at what they've done and just completely blown teams away, never given them a chance. Uh, any of the games that they've been in, uh, Higgins and, uh, and Etienne and Chris Lawrence. And I, I'm with Bama. I don't think the defense is clearly as good. Well, when you lose all that talent to the first round of the NFL draft, it, it's hard uh, even for the elite programs to just not miss a beat. But the offense hasn't missed a beat all year. I'm with you. I think that this is the most dangerous team of the four going into it. Uh, there's a reason the number uh, has gone up the way it did when they put it on the board in Vegas and across uh, the states that have legalized wagering, of which fortunately Iowa is one of them, uh, and Clemson's going to, I think, uh, take care of business in Ohio State. We're going to get set to see LSU and Clemson play for a national championship, and I, for one, cannot wait because I believe these are the two best teams in football. And Clemson, I know people are sick of hearing Dabble talk, but you know what? This point is valid. You start the season as number one, you go unbeaten, you kick the crap out of teams, and somehow you fall to three. Yeah, it's quite baffling, no doubt. So, Ken, the Big Ten Championship game, let's talk about those Buckeyes as they come back from down 21-7 at the half and get it done against Wisconsin. You talk about this all the time as we get into November and December and that sadness, the melancholy that starts to kind of fill you a little bit. I felt it during the second half of the Big Ten title tilt saying, boy, this thing is over. And it felt inevitable, even at 21-7 to me, did you see it the same way at the half that the Buckeyes were going to come back? Well, I thought that they would. I mean, they're, they're a really good football team in Wisconsin. I mean, Cohen played really well in the first half, and he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong, but he's not elite. And, you know, he, he was. I, things were going their way in the first half. And, Trent, I'm with you, by the way, on your point about the, the sadness that's setting <laughs> in. Man, oh, man. I, I love this time of year. This is what I do with, with you know, the other months are great, but this just. This just emphasizes why we do those other months. College football is king. Uh, I, I can't believe how much college football means to me, and especially not growing up with it, um, you know, in Canada. But I'm going to miss this like crazy. Uh, we've got the bowl season, I know, but yeah, it just kind of uh, emphasizes the point. It really starts to sink in when we get to that first Saturday in December. That oh my God, it's over. Um, the, the game itself, I'm, I'm, the best team won. Look, Wisconsin's a great story. They're, they're a nice story. You have a Chris Mann, a hard to knock Taylor, those linebackers. I think when Orr went out injured, uh, that clearly hit, hurt that football team, especially, obviously, defensively. 
Um, but the, the, the right four teams are in the playoffs. Uh, the right teams won the championship games. Even on Friday night, Oregon was clearly the better team uh, in the Pac-12 championship. So we didn't get the chaos maybe that some like, uh, but we got a pretty entertaining uh, two days of championship football. Bam, I want to get your perspective on this. Uh, as you're watching that first half, Justin Fields looked different than he had, and he's dealing with the knee injury. He looks scared at times out there. Now the second half certainly was a different conversation, but that is not the Justin Fields that we saw a long time. Are you putting that in your back pocket, in the back of your mind, as we get ready and we start breaking things down a little bit more and their matchup with Clemson? Just how bad at times Justin Fields looked on Saturday night? Yeah, sure. I mean, you have to because, you know, Kenny talked about it. I mean, Wisconsin, they're a good story. They're not a great team. They're not elite. I mean, you talked about, you know, did you think they were going to come back? I I, I never doubted Ohio State was going to come back, and the reason was kind of how Wisconsin was scoring with, you know, the quarterback scoring on two, what is it, 20, you know, longer quarterback yep. draw. You knew Ohio State was going to, you know, button that up, and Wisconsin just doesn't have the playmakers. But, yeah, field, field is a problem. I mean, you don't you don't know what it and, – and you shouldn't have to know. We've been down this road before about, you know, privacy and injuries and all that kind of thing. I get it. Um Something's wrong. We don't know what. We don't know how serious. Is it just a bruise? Is it something that can heal? Is it a ligament? You know, an MCL? Is it his ankle? What? What is it that's hurt? And are the three weeks now that he has to get ready for Clemson, is it going to heal? And you would have to think that the inactivity would help. But, yeah, I mean, until you – again, to me, Clemson is the most experienced team by far in the playoffs. Oklahoma has a little experience at quarterback, but that's about it. Um, you know, maybe a couple years ago when they played Georgia, I suppose, uh, with Mayfield, but, uh, you know, some of those guys are, are, are still hanging around. But I, I just, something's not right. I don't know what it is. Can't put my finger on it. We're probably not going to know until the season's over. Uh, and, you know, we'll hear about it either whether win or lose. We'll kind of hear about, you know, maybe at that point what, what is wrong. But, yeah, he did not look right. I think they game planned around him. They knew they had, they knew they could game plan. I think for that game, but Clemson's a whole other deal, and they're going to, you know, as I know this sounds wrong, as unathletic and as, as non-explosive as Wisconsin was. Clemson's the opposite on both sides of the ball. Going to be a step up big time in competition for yeah. that one, guys. Before we run out of time, there were plenty of other championship games going on. I found myself immersed in the. FCS uh, playoffs as I was watching you and I nice. and their matchup with South Dakota State. But of the smaller conferences, Bama, anything jump out to you? Yeah, the Memphis-Cincinnati game, I thought that would be a good game, and it was. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, You know, the problem, the thing I didn't like there, you know, Norvell, I can't fault him for going to Florida State, but the news kind of broke during the game. Yeah. And that was, that was just not – it should have either come out before – or and maybe he told his team before. I don't know. I hope he told his team ahead of time, uh, and you know they weren't just kind of finding out during the game. But listen again, you can't fault him. I think it's a really good hire for Florida State. Probably the quote unquote best available that's out there. Uh, but yeah, I found myself watching that one a little bit, kind of dipping over um, into into that. You know, once the SEC game got out of hand a little bit. But um, great story for Memphis, and you know. You go to the Cotton Bowl. I mean, how how not a bad, not a bad consolation prize if you're if you're the Memphis Tigers. 
My love of the American uh, continued with that one. Ken, anything from you? I, I also find myself a little bit at the Conference USA in the final game for Lane Kiffin. We'll get to that in a moment. But any of the smaller conferences jump out to you? Uh, I, not really. I mean, the Boise State game, I guess, is because the blue turf and the black uniforms mm-hmm. uh, that, that they've uh, gone to. Uh, no, I was Thanks, so boy. locked and loaded on the, on the Power 5 conferences. And, and you're right, both coaches are winning games and getting a due to their schools and off to uh, bigger and better things. Uh, back into the ACC, and that's uh, certainly intriguing in its own right. Um, but no, I was um, the Boise State game, I guess, would be the answer for everyone. So with that, let's get into Lane Kiffin. Bama, I'm going to leave this open-ended. So I think I've told you before, my wife is an Alabama fan. She taught with a, a lady over in Japan that was also from Alabama. So they watch Iowa and Alabama games together. So she grew to uh, like Alabama during that time period. And one of our favorite moments when Lane Kiffin was on the sidelines with Bama working under Saban was when Saban had come over and yell at him. I mean, it just it was so great every single time, and we would just chuckle watching that unfold. There'll be no yelling, though, unless it's across the sideline this time as he makes his way back to the SEC. Lane Kiffin's back. Got to like that, right? Yeah, you do. Uh, I would have, I really would have liked him better at Florida State. I just think the whole, you know, him going up against Florida and everything would have just would have made that mm-hmm. rivalry great. But, I mean, now he's in the SEC West. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. One of the best Twitter, I, I retweeted it. But, man, one of the, one of the best things I've had were – where Ole Miss football had kind of a, uh, I guess it was their their main building on campus, and the chimney with the white smoke coming yeah, out of it, like they just, that. you know, I mean, oh my God, that was funny. Um, listen, he's going to be good for the conference. He has a job to do, uh, but even though they've been bad in the last few years, uh, they've got some players now. It's it, it's kind of ironic. Well, first of all, Kiffin's forty four years old. He's already been a head coach in the NFL. He's already been a head coach at USC. He's now he's a head coach in the SEC after winning three national championships as a coordinator for Alabama. Not a bad resume by the time you're in your mm-hmm. early forties. But you know, it's I find it ironic that I think one of the reasons that Matt Luke got fired. Well, yeah, I mean they've had challenges we all know uh, with scholarship reductions and everything and the NCAA violations. It was really for a lack of discipline against Mississippi State. You think Lane right. Kiffin's going to be the guy to come in and instill discipline <laughs> into your football team? I mean, he's going to get the fan base excited, and he's going to have the, the the rebel walk or whatever it is at the Grove. I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun. But if you think he's the guy to instill discipline and recruit, uh, you know, Oxford, you know, road scholars to your program, probably not the guy you're looking for. Well, on Friday, we will get a little bit deeper into some of these coaching changes. Of course, we got Army, Navy, maybe even dip uh, our toe into those FCS playoffs. We'll see if Bama's got anything for us there. Guys, appreciate the time here. We got college basketball coming up on the other side, but a sad day, but a good day, recapping everything we saw on Championship Weekend. Thanks for joining me here today. Okay. Always enjoy it, guys. Take care. Talk to you Bama, Bob, and Ken Miller checking in with us here today as we take a look around college football and the weekend that was. As mentioned, college basketball is next. Rob Doster will be my guest from NBCSports.com. We'll take a look at his perspective on Iowa, Iowa State, what the big national guy, what he's looking at here with our local teams, and we'll take a look across what has been just a wild opening month of college basketball. Number one teams continuing to go down. Who's good? Who's bad? We'll find out next with Rob Doster as we continue. Miller and Condon on 14th. Affordable. 
Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Back with you on a Monday. It is Miller and Condon. Minus the Miller, that means we get to spin a little biggie coming back here. We got Rob Doster on the line from NBCSports.com. Rob will be joining us here throughout the college basketball season once we get deeper into conference play each and every week. But Pataman here as I'm running solo on a Monday. Rob, good to talk to you again and uh, a busy weekend of college basketball, including a lot of conference games, keeping you on your toes here in early December. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually glad that we're kind of uh, in the thick of it. It was it took a little while to get us to the point where we were getting seemingly like uh, nightly big games going on. And, and this past week, it felt like every every night there was a battle between top ten teams. And I got to tell you what, man. If, uh, if my intros are now going to be Biggie, then I think maybe we can just kind of leave uh, <laughs> leave old Mr. Miller behind. Yeah, Biggie's not at the top of his playlist. He is more, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he looks for something a little older. He loves the Stones, you know, those kind of things. So when he's away, I get to go a little bit deeper into the sound system and find some good stuff to bounce out of here. You know, Rob, one thing I, I want to tell you, hadn't had a chance to tell you yet, I really have enjoyed, you're a degenerate like myself, you love to gamble, your Instagram stories about your bets each and every day. There's been some good, there's been some bad, uh, no doubt, but I enjoy what you're doing over there and a little bit different kind of contact, trying to bring Instagram into the mix. Good stuff there. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a big thing. I'm trying to get some followers over there, and, and you know, sometimes you get a one in three night, and people are like, what are you doing? Why are you telling me to do this? You're terrible at this. You just cost me all this money. And I'm like, well, you know, you should have followed along with you in three and all last night, so it's not my fault. Yes, exactly. Well, let's get into, let's start on the local front here. Iowa tonight, they get the second Big Ten matchup. This time it'll be against Minnesota. Game Iowa certainly should win. Minnesota uh, got a couple of pieces still around here, but this is going to be, I think, a down gopher team. Iowa, since they've gone to this format with the early conference games here in early December, they're now 0-5. Got to find a way to get a victory here, but before we get into that, a look back at Friday night and the performance out of Luca Garza, putting 44 up against, and not just against anybody, to do it against Teske, one of the better defenders in the Big Ten. Impressive performance from the Hawkeye big man. Yeah, you know, I honestly, I didn't really see that coming from him. I, I've always been a fan of Luca Garza, and I think I've told you guys this before, but I, I remember I saw him when he was a freshman at Murray mm-hmm. in D.C., and it was just, it, it was so funny watching him because he was starting, and I was there with a D1 coach, and he was like, yeah, this kid's going to be really good. You know, we're, we're, we're recruiting him, but I think he'll probably go a little bit bigger than us. Uh, I'm watching him, like, try to run up and down the floor. Right. And it's just, like, 14-year-old with, like, huge feet and floppy hands. It looks like he's about to fall over every time he takes a step. But, you know, he knocked down a three in that game, and, and uh, I guess uh, those guys were a little bit more prescient in their evaluation uh, than I was. But, yeah, I mean, look, when you put up 44 points on anybody, that's really impressive. The thing that I thought was uh, was was, was – the thing that stood out to me was, like you said, it was against Tesk. And the way that Michigan kind of played them was they were just like, well, you know what? If Luca Garza, we'll let you go one-on-one against Tesk for the all-night if you want. That's 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 what we're going to give you. We're not going to let you get any threes. We're just going to stay home on all the shooters. And if you can beat us going one-on-one, then you're going to beat us going one-on-one. And he put up 44, but Iowa didn't get the win. So uh, it's, a little, it's a little worrying, and it kind of drives home the point that I think needs to be made about this Iowa team. You know, they, they've always been good offensively under Fran McCaffrey. I feel like they're always one of these teams that can get 80 on any given night. Yep. The problem is they end up giving 90, giving up 90 on those nights. Mm-hmm. And they just can't guard. They can't get any stops. And if you're not able to get stops in the Big Ten, then you're not going to win a lot of basketball games. You know, and it's so interesting when I, when I watch this team because – 
there are other teams. You know, Jordan Bohan is never going to be an elite on-ball defender. That, that's just not how he is. That's not how he's built. The other pieces here, but it's not just about some limited athleticism that they have at some spots. It's at times just slow on rotation, slow getting over. Some of the things that they do on that end of the floor, well, I guess there's a reason they're fourth in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency at Ken Palm and 134th on defense because it looks like they don't do a whole lot of work on that side of the floor during practice. You know, I, I think one of the bigger problems is, like, they just have a lot of guys that aren't individually good defenders. And when you put a bunch of people out there that can't guard by themselves and you ask them to guard as a team, like, that's just not uh, not necessarily a winning past success. And, um, you know, one of the issues, like, so but let's just keep talking about Luka Garza. You know, he had 44 points, but how many did he right. give up yeah. uh, defensively because he kept getting lit up and pick and rolls right, that David mm-hmm. Simpson was running. So um, there are good good things and bad things about this Iowa team. Uh, I, I I just I feel like if they're not going to be able to, to, to guard, they're just not. I mean, it's really that simple. You can't get stops, you can't win basketball games. And at some point, they have to get better. Like, this isn't just a new thing. Like, we aren't waking up here today. Like, let's talk, the, the example is Virginia, right? Yeah. Everyone always talks about how this Virginia team is so slow and they can't score and they're terrible offensively. When the truth is, they're always like one of the top five teams on Ken Palm and offensive efficiency. They just they play a very limited number of possessions, but when they do, like they're they're as ruthlessly efficient offensively as anybody in the country, or at least they have been in past seasons. This year, nope, they're what everybody thinks they have been since Tony Bennett got there. I think they're like 130th or something like that on the defensive end of the floor. So while we can sit here and say uh, Virginia can't score, we're saying it because of this specific season. This isn't like a chronic systemic issue within the program. It just so happens that when you lose three NBA players and you're a school like Virginia, it's going to take you a little while to uh, replace that and to reload. Whereas with Iowa, I feel like, you know, I don't have the data sitting right here in front of me, but I feel like every year we come on here and then the first thing we do, we talk about Iowa. It's like, so what do you think about the uh, the Hawkeyes this year? Well, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty good. They can score. they got some shooters. they got some guys that are exciting offensively, but they can't get any stops. And I feel like that's been consistently the point that we've made about this program over the course of, what, like the last four or five, six years. So it's not uh, necessarily an ideal situation. Let's jump over to the other side of the state. Let's go up to Ames. The Cyclones get a win, avenging one of the losses to Seton Hall that happened uh, on a neutral floor here a little over a week ago. They get Seton Hall this time at home. Speaking of ugly basketball, that 10 minutes, first 10 minutes of the game, well, short of Virginia, set basketball back about as far as you're going to find. But a nice win against Seton Hall. Now they get the Hawkeyes on Thursday in the Cyhawk game. What are your thoughts on this Iowa State team? At, at the very least, this an NCAA tournament team to you? Yeah, they probably should be. I, you know, I think that um, their their non conference schedule has not exactly been the most successful. Um, I, you know, the talent is there, but uh, getting that win over Seton Hall actually matters because I think it's the first time we kind of look at what they've done so far this season. It's the first win where you can point to and say, "Okay, that's a good win." Mm-hmm. And they got a little bit unlucky with the way that the battle for Atlanta shook out. Um, because they got, uh, I mean, they lost to Michigan and they ended up having to play Alabama. And I think Alabama is probably the, uh, like, the, you know, Southern Miss is the worst team in that event. But it's not like Alabama is really um, going to be lighting anybody on fire this season. So they're, betting. they're one of the teams that we've been trading uh, throughout most of the season. So it's a little concerning that that was the only win they got in that event. And um, so it's good for them to get this, this win over Seton Hall. You need something like that. The big concern, though, is, Seton Hall, they, they lost their kid, uh, 
Sandro Memo Kalashvili, which I'm very proud to announce that I am actually able to pronounce his name, um, they lost him, and he broke his wrist. And the problem with that is, like, he is the guy that was the second option for Seton Hall offensively. And we've talked all offseason about how the biggest thing, the biggest problem facing the Seton Hall program is their Miles Powell and then everybody else. And when everybody else doesn't play as well as you need to, you can play like two or three guys at Miles Powell. And if he has a night where he goes, what was he last night? 70 for 20 from the floor and scored 19 points. If, if Miles Powell's only getting 19 points, there's not going to be that many games where Seton Hall is beating good teams, especially if they don't have uh, Mambo. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name <laughs> a second time. So the, the concern there is that what happens if this kind of derails uh, Seton Hall season? What Kevin Miller said last night was Mambo broke a bone in his wrist and could be out six to eight weeks. So what happens if Seton Hall, instead of being a team that should be able to compete for the Big East title that Iowa State has a win over, what if happens if they end up being like a bubble team that yep. finishes – 10 and 8 in the Big East. Well, all of a sudden that win doesn't look anywhere near as impressive as it probably should. So to me, that's 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 the concern right now in terms of when we're talking about NCAA tournament stuff. But I think uh, to your larger point, when you have a guy like Tyrese Halliburton that can do the things that he can do, then you just you, you know that you're going to be able to get wins. And, and you know, I should have prefaced all this by saying that uh, there's enough in the Big 12 for them, like, if they're good enough to make the NCAA tournament, they're going to make the NCAA tournament just because they got the home court advantage and they're going to be able to get the wins in the league play. Um, it's just, if we're talking about the difference between maybe like a 5C and something like a 9 or a 10C, then that's where that non-conference schedule stuff hurts you the most. Speaking of the Big East, Seton Hall, they're uh, going to be fighting maybe for a title. I was so excited to bring you on today. Talk a little DePaul basketball. We saw them early in the season dominate Iowa over at Carver. They got two other true road wins against BC and Minnesota, which aren't going to move the needle a whole lot, but they are still true road victories early in the season. And then they go out and lay an egg against Buffalo yesterday. A good Buffalo program, a program that's been in the tournament recently here, though. But DePaul, are they at least going to get back to the tournament? Oh, man, I hope so. Like, we were all in, right? Yes. We were all in on them. And they, they turn around and they happen to lose at home to Buffalo. And uh, honestly, this was this was something that was coming a little bit. Um, they, they uh, earlier this year, they had played Central Michigan. And at one point in the first half, they were down 18 points at home against uh, just a thoroughly mediocre Central Michigan team. They ended up coming back and winning, and they actually covered. Uh, the, the spread was 12, and they, they outscored. Central Michigan by 31 points in the second half for like the one of my uh, most miracle covers of the <laughs> season, um, and then against Texas Tech, like they 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 kind of got a little bit lucky. I don't want, maybe lucky is not the right word, but um, they were outplayed for most of that game and ended up making a couple plays down the stretch to get them the win. So they've been playing with fire for a little bit. But the big thing with the Paul is like they actually have there's a lot of talent on that roster. Like Paul Reed going to end up uh, playing in the NBA, and Jalen Coleman Lane is really talented. Probably more started at Kansas for half of last season. So they, they actually have uh, – they, they've got dudes. So I think they have enough to win. The big question is, you know, are they going to read their press clippings? they got a little bit of hype, and then all of a sudden they go out and they lay an egg at home and it's And the thing about the Big East, the Big East is really, really, really good this year, especially at the top. You know, I think Villanova, I think Butler, I think Seton Hall, if they can stay healthy, Xavier – uh, Marquette, Georgetown is playing better now that you kick those guys out of the program. So there, we could be talking about a league where there's like seven, uh, maybe eight tournament teams in it. 
So if DePaul's going to have these nights where they just don't kind of show up, then uh, that's not necessarily a great sign for them long term. They got the talent. Like the, the issue right now, to me, is not whether or not they have enough good basketball players to be a tournament team. It's whether or not they can actually show up and get the wins that they need to get. Trivia for you. I'm looking through here the Ken Palm numbers as I like to do. Who is the team that has the most wins in college basketball right now? D1 college basketball. Is it, is it Maryland? It's not Maryland. Maryland's at 10. There are four teams that have 10 victories. Gonzaga, San Diego State, and George Mason. Oh, there. I got it. Liberty. Liberty 11-0. <laughs> they are 11-0. Richie McKay, the old uh, New Mexico coach, did he get in some trouble? Seems like Liberty might be a good spot for him anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, isn't uh, <laughs> who's there? Who's there? Eighty thousand. The guy from Baylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, good fit there, huh? Right. All right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but they're they're going to be pretty good because he's a really, really good coach, and they got a kid named Caleb Holmes playing on that team. I mean, everybody saw them in the NCAA tournament last year. The thing that makes mm-hmm. them so tough is uh, Richie McKay. Like you talk to coaches. And they're like, that guy, that guy knows how to draw up an offensive game plan. That guy knows how to disguise what he's actually running and is offensive set. So uh, they do have a little bit of talent. But the big thing is, is there's a guy on the sideline that knows how to put that talent in a position where they're going to be able to uh, to make a play. So um, I, I, I think they're probably legit, man. Like I think they're right there in the conversation as the best big major in college basketball this season. Rob Doster joining us from NBCSports.com. Rob, two more things. I'm going to go two different directions with you. First of all, the four teams that are in the Champions Classic every year. Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, and Kentucky. Of those four, who's going to have the best season? Uh, Kansas. My hot take going into that event was that when we left uh, Madison Square Garden that night, everybody was going to think that Kansas was actually the best team in the country. And while... Uh, I don't think we're quite there. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious that they were the best team in the building at this point. You know, I think that Devin Dotson is probably in the conversation for best point guard in the country. I think Yudoka Azubuki is as unstoppable of a force as anybody in college basketball. I think that Bill Self really understands what he has at his disposal and how to take advantage of the fact that like, if Yudoka gets the ball three feet from the rim, it's an automatic bucket. Uh, so I think they have the shooting to be able to space the floor. I have been impressed by the fact that they've really gone to like this small ball lineup where they're playing either Isaiah Mala or Shia Baji or um, Tristan Anaruna, one of those guys at the four. Mm-hmm. And that's when they get really, really difficult to guard because uh, if you put four shooters around you, Doka Azubuki, who, like, he's not, he's never going to be great in ball things. Like, you're never going to confuse him with somebody like Anthony Davis, but he's gotten better. I, you know, I, I was at the end of the Dayton game. Down the stretch, he made some plays on the perimeter where he was forced to switch out on guys that are definitely perimeter-oriented. And he got a couple blocks. He was able to move his feet. Um, you know, He's never going to be great, but he just has to be good enough where if you can make it so that like two or three of the possessions where you would normally get a bucket, putting Yoko Azubuki in the ball screen, you no longer get that bucket, uh, then I think that that changes things per game. You know, That's, that's four or five-point swing where – you have a guy that is just absolutely unstoppable on the block, uh, you still have him on the floor. So um, I'm very much in the camp where I think right now, like if I gun to head right now, I think the three best teams, uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a tear in college basketball. And I would say the three best teams in the country are Louisville, Ohio State, 
and Kansas. And right now I have them ranked in that order, but I think that you can make a pretty valid argument that any of those three could be the best team. Isaiah Mossy has provided exactly what they needed. He didn't play in that first game of the season. He was banged up against Duke, but he doesn't do anything else other than shoot. What does Kansas need? They need another shooter to go out there, and he certainly provides it. I like what you said at the top. I like Louisville. I got a future wager. Jumped on board with you on that one. I like Kansas. That next tier, that next group, Maryland's undefeated. They're 10-0. You mentioned Virginia. We talked about them at the top. Maryland, I want to get your thoughts on them, though. In the Big Ten, undefeated start. Maybe it's Mark Turgeon. I don't know what it is. I love the talent on this team, but I'm still reserving judgment on them. Where are you with the Terrapins? Yeah, I just want to point out one thing that you mentioned that a guy that transfers from Iowa, all he can do is shoot. And I just <laughs> I thought that was going to be funny. Full circle. First circle, right? Yeah, full circle right there. Um, with Maryland, so I'm with you on the Mark Turgeon thing. I, I, I'm, I'm, no one's ever going to confuse him with the best coach in college basketball, right? But the thing is, like, he has the talent on this year's roster. And a lot of people are kind of pooing that win over uh, Illinois on Saturday where they got down by 15 in the second half. And I'm, I'm looking at it the opposite way. I'm looking at it as a team that, that played like crap for 25 minutes, still found a way to win the home against, uh, you know, Illinois, they haven't been great, but they're, they're actually pretty talented. And um, when things are going the right way, like they could be a tough team to play against because of the way that Brad Underwood coaches defense and the way they kind of get out of passing lanes and force turnovers. And, I thought Maryland overcame some of their issues, whether it was coaching or, or not being up for the start of the game, and found a way to win. Like the, To me, what great teams do is they play like crap and they still find a way to get the job done and get the win. What all Americans do is put a team on their back and score 20 points in the final 23 minutes of the game, uh, to make a three to tie the game, to get the steal and hit the free throw to win the game, which is what Anthony Cowan did. So uh, I... I I'm not ready to write off Maryland at this point. I, I understand what some of their limitations are, and there's a reason why I don't think that they are in the same conversation just yet as Ohio State, Louisville, and Kansas. But that's a very good, very talented basketball team with a point guard that's playing the best basketball of his career. Four games tonight in college basketball. That's it. Four D1 games, Iowa, Minnesota amongst them. A quiet night for you, Rob. Get some sleep, and we'll talk again soon. Good catching up, man. Rob Doster joining us here as we get the timeout. Coming back, putting a cap on things, Mr. Monday Night. He's got a pick for you. Mr. Monday Night's got to get hot. Eagles, oh, against the Giants. Eli, back in the fold. We'll get the pick. Coming up here on 14th. HopeLawFirm.com. Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Trek got it back with you one Loser of three in a row. We're back to 500 on the year. It has gone the wrong way for Mr. Monday Night. We're going to change that tonight. Nine and a half is the number. That's what you get with the New York Giants. Unfortunately, I don't think I can go that direction. Eli, boy, it'd be a fun story. Be great to see him and possibly his final start of his career go out and play well. I'm still believing this Eagles talent more than anything. I'll lay the nine and a half. Give me the Eagles. Mr. Monday night, trying to get back in a positive direction. Thanks, everybody out there for listening in. Again, bowl trips online. KXNO.com with EB Sports. 
Hawkeyes to the holiday bowl, Cyclones to the camping world. Find it all at KXNO.com. Back tomorrow.